Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Witch EV podcast. I'm Witch EV's editor, James Morris, and I have my able assistant here in the form of Witch EV's co-founder, Stefano Ribardengo. Hello. Hi, Steph. We're going to talk about the week's most popular stories on Witch EV and other recent trends in electric vehicles. But in particular, we're focusing on the fear of change this week. So um, we're going to focus particularly on manufacturers. So, Steph, which manufacturers do you think are most in trouble due to the EV revolution? <laughs> well, it's really tempting to say um, all of them. You've got legacy manufacturers and you've got the new manufacturers that are coming to market and they're all a bunch of startups and they'll have a very different philosophy. They're very much tech industry focused and you can see the mindset. Let's use Tesla again as an example where you've got a car. Just off the top of your head. Yeah, which is a car which is, a car, which is an upgradable car over the air. And legacy manufacturers, and when we say legacy, we mean the manufacturers that have been around for the last 50 to 100 years or so, which is most all of them until, you know, very recently. They haven't, they, they don't have the same mindset that the tech industry has. And so you've got this product, an electric car, which is very much like a tech product. It's like a computer with wheels. That's what it is. And you've got the old school internal combustion engine, which is more of a a craftsman manufactured, uh, heavy industry type product. And it's got different types of people working in the industries. Uh, the legacy industry has got car guys and the the electric car industry has got car guys who are also techies. And this represents a problem to the the legacy manufacturers because they now need to change the way their business functions. And it's going to be very, very difficult. VW look like that they are the first legacy manufacturer, except maybe let's put Nissan aside for a second because they they did come up they did come up with the Leaf, which is the first mainstream mass-produced small car. But VW look like they're stepping into it in a very very serious way. The new ID3 uh, and the new MEB platform is it, James? That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wrote about this. Um, I rather bullishly said, can the ID3 save the German car industry? Mm. Um, and I was kind of um, being, you know, being a little bit um, extravagant with my praise there. because. Um, but what I really see is the ID3 is the first obvious MEB. I'm not going to even try and pronounce what that actually stands for in German um, because it's uh, well, it's German. I don't really speak very much German. Right. Um, but from Fliegende Untertasse, which means flying saucer. Um, <laughs> but the... the um, the MEB platform is, um, is is this new platform that will be coming across all kinds of uh, be available across all kinds of different cars. There will be um, there'll be the the Buzz, which is the kind of VW camper van, which which they've designed to look quite a lot like the traditional split screen. There's even a um, a buggy. There's going to be executive cars, and VW's own cars aren't going to be the only cars that have it. There's Skodas, Seats, and Audis that will all use the MEB platform. And um, as I mentioned in my article, you know, one of the uh, things that modern manufacturers realise is you have to have a platform that is that can be used across different versions. Mm. You know, I've, I'm 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 an owner of a car called a Porsche 968, which is a lovely, lovely, That's a lovely car. car. So, lovely car. Yeah. So, sorry, uh, though, petrol head haters, um, but uh, that car 
is kind of symbolic of the near death of Porsche because it was the time when that was produced. Porsche had three different cars, the 928, the 968, and the 911, all completely incompatible. There were a few things like wing mirrors that they and wheels that they could share between them, but the rest of the running gear was completely different between them. So they had to have three different production lines and you know, if one was doing well, another one not so much. You know, they couldn't really share capacity between them. So instead, when they brought out the new the 996 version of the 911, they switched to an, a platform that could be shared, and they were able to develop the um, the Boxster out of that as well. And you know, the rest was history. Porsches became the most cash rich car company after that because they had premium cars um, and they had a very streamlined production. So that kind of shows what the platform can do. Um, but the MEB also allows the um, the VW to be, um, you know, produce all these different types of cars um, that have, you know, have these shared um, abilities. You know, you can have different ranges. You can have a modular range. Um, what, you know, for example, you might remember the uh, 1.9 diesel motor that, VW motor that could be found in so many different cars. Yeah, the 1.8 turbo as well, didn't they? They, they had yeah. the 1.9 diesel and the 1.8 turbo that was used literally in every single model that they produced. So what do you think about Lotus's ch- chances? You know, they've got this um, this Elvira car. Actually, I think that's wrong, isn't it? Elvira is the mistress of the dark. Yeah, isn't that... I'm, th- that's, I'm thinking, that's a 19... I'm thinking Avija, aren't I? Sorry, yeah. Is that 1980s computer game, that one? Wasn't it? Could be, but there was also some kind of gothic woman who. Yeah, there was a gothic um, woman, and she was extremely busty in the picture, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think I think the fact that I call the El, the El, Avija the Elvira probably says more about me than it does about um, uh, you know the. Uh, so they've got the, the they've got the, the Elvira, which is the new Avija, right? Elvija, Avija. It's I don't know how you pronounce it, but Avija, that's their Elvija. Evija, and it's um, it's their supercar, and it's their their roadster competitor, and uh, it's it's very similar in performance. It's going to be really interesting to see those two compared to each other. But they've also announced, and this is a story we had uh, last week in uh, which EV, which was that they're going to go electric after the current generation. It they're looks going to fantastic, go... doesn't it? That EV, yeah. I'm just looking at a picture of it right now. Yeah, it's, it's amazing a beautiful car that they've come up with. It's amazing, and what you know, what the uh, what the the uh, the managers of um, and designers of, of Lotus are saying that actually electric cars are really well suited to sports cars because mm. of the weight distribution. Uh, you know, I, I, I drove a Tesla Model S today, uh, this week, um, review coming out very shortly, the latest version with the Raven powertrain. And um, the, the thing about the uh, having driven a Model 3 performance um, a few months ago, the thing that you realize about them is that they are incredibly well balanced because the, the motors are where the wheels are. Mm. And all the batteries are underneath the floor plan. So that's really, really good for weight distribution. You can move the batteries around a little bit to distribute the weight properly, which is exactly what you want. You know, why do you have mid-engine cars? Uh, it's because you want to put the engine in a sensible place for weight distribution. Mm. The 968 that I drive has got the gearbox at the back is a transaxle and the engine at the front, which again means I think it's a 60-40 or it's not that far off a 50-50 weight distribution for that reason. And so that makes it, you know, it's got legendary handling, that car. Um, it's a bit underpowered by today's standards, but you know the the driving experience is phenomenal because it's it's very chuckable. Um, so another manufacturer that's that's um, announced electric electrification is Ford, which uh, with some electric transit and F one fifty. What do you think their chances are? Well, the the F one fifty is going to be huge. I mean, that's the number one selling car. Literally, probably. Yeah, it's going to be literally huge, huge. huge in sales and huge in in huge in America. I mean. 
it's the, the F one fifty is the best selling car in America. You go around, you you've ever visit the states, you'll see them literally everywhere. Um, it's it sort of suits the American way of life because you need to be able to go to Home Depot and load up an enormous fridge and then drive your family to soccer practice. And that's sort of what the F-150 is there for. It does literally everything. It's basically for moving fridges. Moving fridges and large amounts of aggregates and all kinds of strange... And American th- fridges are huge as yeah, well, aren't they? I, they are. I mean, you, you're, you're in California. Yeah. And what? how big is your fridge? It's is a, it one of those double... It's a standard American-sized fridge. So I... In, the size in, of a British house um, then, basically. Yeah, it's absolutely... It's like a walk-in fridge. So, yeah, I mean, it, the, the only thing is, is the conservative... The, the truck-buying public are very conservative. Uh, which means we're not talking politically. It means they they are resistant to change, and this this all goes back to this fear of change. So you, yeah, you've got guys that are tra- the very traditionalists, and this this goes right through into the motor industry as well. You've got people that they love their V eight, uh, they love the numbers that they are used to, the torque, the brake horsepower the mileage consumption, it's all things that they know. They know how roughly how long the car will last. You know, it's like probably around 150, 200,000 miles before it needs enormous work. It has things like transmissions that they can talk about at length. And all of this is going to go away. It's going to be replaced by a car that's got batteries and a motor in it. And all of these things that uh, you know and love are, are no longer there. It's been replaced by things that are better. You know, you're going to have a, a better performance electric motor in it, and it will be able to tow vastly, vastly heavier loads because of the torque mm. that the electric motors had. I think they did a stunt. I think Ford did a. It was a. It feels like a while ago, but it wasn't that long ago. It was about maybe four months. They did. Um, they put a Rivian running gear. This was the rumor in uh f-150 because rivian are a startup and they they're making an electric truck and they got bought by ford and they they put the running gear in an f-150 amazon's, amazon's ordered like hundred thousand of them that's of right their, yeah their delivery truck isn't it that's right and they um they they put they put it in front of a train and the car was strong enough to pull a train from standstill that's <laughs> done that they did and you can't do that with a traditional petrol engine car because the transmission wouldn't be able to yeah. transmit the amount of torque. Like it, train engines, locomotives, they're they're actually diesel electric. They've been electric since since forever because they are able to to pull so much torque from zero. You yeah. wouldn't be able to physically make a transmission that can that can pull that weight from zero this was one of the things that really i've just been looking at the specs of the model s because you know the one i drove was the the new raven powertrain and that has over a thousand foot pounds of, uh, of torque available and it, and um a 750 horsepower uh, that's actually that's not the motors that's the, what the battery is able to deliver yeah that's why it has this kind of 2.3 seconds naught to 60 it's actually 2.28 or something it's ridiculous amazing, isn't it and that and how much is that yeah. on you well, the, the performance is £92,000, which is a lot. It seems like a lot, but then you realise that if you want to buy a fully loaded Panamera Turbo S, which is probably the, the kind of nearest equivalent, mm. that's about £150,000. So actually, it's quite cheap It's quite cheap. in that then, kind of range. And then if you want to go faster, you have to faster. buy a car million pounds, yeah. right? Like you can't, the next step it's just, up. 
you got it's just the- ridiculous how quick that car is. I mean, when I was test driving it, obviously within all UK speed limits, of course, it was um, it was just you know I was my face was kind of flying off in typical ludicrous ludicrous plus mode. So, so, so um, we, you know what, James, we're very quickly touching it. We talked on it before on uh, on the site. Is government going to have to step in at some point and limit how fast these things accelerate? Well, you think that they might have to, but I think that at the moment they don't seem to be. They're more interested in giving um, EV drivers extra benefits. Now that this green plate scheme, which I had a, oh, another thing we had, um, we had yes. a little, um, we had a little Barney with the uh, well, the some of the, uh, the the main UK EV group had a bit of a Barney with the Association of British Drivers. I used to be a member of the Association of British Drivers. It used to be a lobby group for like sensible things about speed limits and um, and speed bumps and things, um, but. Uh, they seem to become a bit of a kind of Luddite, backwards-looking group of dinosaurs. They uh, they really upset about this green number plate scheme that's supposedly going to very obviously show that you're driving an EV so you can get benefits like free parking and... It's a great idea. Pedestrian. I think it's a brilliant idea. idea. They, they, already, they already do something like that in California. Um, you get... Of course they do. Yeah, well, that's it. Again, you probably get free free avocado eight, with eight, it as well. Eighteen months ahead, right? We talked about this one before. So they um, they, they started this when they originally. I'm surprised we can even talk because you're so far ahead in time of me. How how do we? Because you're actually talking. Does this mean you have to go back in time to talk to me. This is a time travel. We're talking through time, James. Exactly. That's so space and time. So um, they they introduced a decal, a sticker that you put on your the bumper of your car. Uh, and this was when hybrids first came out. Yeah. And yep. it gave you access to the toll lanes and it gave you cheap bridge tolls and other, other little perks. Then everyone bought a Toyota Prius who lived in California. And so what they had to do, they had to slowly phase it out because too many people were were being able to access the the bridge, uh, the high occupancy vehicle lane, the HIV lane, the carpool lane. Uh on, on their own, so it was jamming it up. So they had to phase that out, and they brought it in for battery only. So if you have a battery only car, you get your decal, your little sticker, and it will give you the free parking, and it will give you cheap bridge tolls and other little perks like that. I think it's a great idea because it's a great way to shift uh, shift people's uh, behaviour, isn't it? I mean, it's not going to last because when everyone's got an EV, it's not going to work. No. You know, the, the the ABD guys, Association of British Drivers, got really upset, and we we saw all the usual kind of. Uh, mythological BS coming out about why EVs were bad. And I've had a recent conversation with one of our um, readers on Facebook who was, you know, the, one of the very typical uh, mm. problems is the grid can't cope We should and we should be backing hydrogen instead. Well, not if you saw what happened to that Toyota hydrogen refueling stop but, last year in California. The, it exploded. The hydrogen, it wasn't you, was it, Steph? Yeah, it wasn't nearly, but the, the, the hydrogen one just cracks me up because where do people think hydrogen comes from? Okay. You need to use electricity to make the hydrogen and the entire process. By the time you've actually burnt the hydrogen, I think it's something along the lines of 33% efficient compared to an electric car, which might be 90. So it's something like 85, 90% efficient when you're using the battery method. You, what you're, all you're doing, you're taking hydrogen, you're, you're taking water, you split it apart, by putting lots of electricity into it, and then you use a fuel cell to recombine it with oxygen, which makes electricity. It's it's the most long, roundabout, convoluted way to power a car ever. It's it's a joke. The only reason why it came 
came about in the first place, it was spun by the probably the, the oil industry in California when they wanted to get rid of the first EV mandate, which happened at the beginning of the Bush era. And I think the movie Who Killed the Electric Car really covered that really quite well. They said it basically a bait and switch. Uh, this, this stops us from having to do battery electric cars. We're going to do hydrogen cars. It sounds great. You can use the infrastructure of the filling stations and all that kind of stuff. But basically, it's a non-starter. It's, it's never going to work. Hydrogen has to be kept under such enormous pressure, it's explosive. And then whilst it's in your car being held under enormous pressure, being less efficient than a battery electric in the first place, it slowly evaporates away, even though it's in a tank, because hydrogen atoms are so small, they can pass through the metal. So like it's, ghosts. it slowly, vap- slowly evaporates away. It, 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 hydrogen, hydrogen is a complete non-starter. Exactly. It uses more electricity than just using batteries. It, it, it's, it's a joke. It's been, it, it, it was blown out of proportion probably by the oil industry as, a, as the next thing. Uh, Elon Musk, genius that guy is, saw the, saw the BS behind it, which is why he started up Tesla, because he said hydrogen is a complete waste of time. It's not going to work. So hydrogen is clearly a non-starter. And, you know, reading what these guys on the Association of British Drivers Facebook post were saying, and this reader on Facebook, you know, it reminded me a little bit about people who think that coronavirus was started by 5G or, mm. or you know, anti-vaxxing type, type people. Mm. So they're not like our favourite reader, Ivan Endicott, who I think we're going to try and mention every time. He's we a love, we love him. He's a jolly good egg. So, you know, but it all comes back to, a lot of these arguments come back to this kind of range anxiety thing. You know, we talked a lot, uh, we had a, an article about uh, Volta, which is this American company with advertising. We talked a little bit about last last week, and we published the article this week. And uh, there was another stat that came out um, that there are now more than twice as many electric charging points in the UK as petrol stations. Hmm. So, you know, his argument about the, was, it was about the grid uh, not being able to take it, and, you know, the the national grid themselves say they have enough power to take charging because you know people don't charge their cars at the same time that most of the rest of the electricity consumption is being used they do it late at night and you can get a smart charger anyway that figures out that you're you when you know you're using energy to charge your car and will ramp it down if you if something else takes up some of the amps going into your house you know, like a shower or a cooker or something yeah so you know, i saw i saw the shower and that cracked me up so so if you if you're charging your car overnight right um whilst you're asleep guess what you're not taking a shower at the same time right well you might be because you're always it, taking it, it, it depends if you it, yeah if you're an obsessive obsessive shower taker like myself then yes you may be but but chances are you won't be. That's not how it works. You have your shower and you switch your shower off and then your car will, will charge. And if you've got a smart charger, then like you said, James, it will, it will be able to detect whether or not the, the uh, load is too high on your house. If you try and use too much at the same time on your house, what you will do is you will trip your circuit breaker on your house and you will need to reset it. And then you will be able to work out what you were using at the same time and then change accordingly. It, it, it happens quite quite regularly the 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 bottom of the line is it depends on what service that you've got coming into your house right so if you've got a 60 amp or 100 amp or a 200 amp so my house in america is a 200 amp service 
Um, of course, in America, you have to be twice as as much as British people. We're normally one hundred amp service. Yeah, most houses in England hundred amp service. So let's so let's just let's just break that down for a second. An electric car charger uses um, between thirty two and forty amps. So if you have that charging overnight, you are no no way near the limit of the capacity of the service in your house. Even the 60 amp one will be fine with that, as long as you're not using a shower at the same time and not using a 50 kilowatt shower, which Sky seemed to be thinking he had. I know it was a typo, but... If you're using your showers, right, you know, chances are you've you, you plugged your car in, but it won't be charging yet. In, your car will only charge after, say, for example, midnight when you've gone to off-peak power, which is the whole point. You're using excess energy that's on the grid that would be otherwise wasted. The infrastructure is already there. Now, if you want to, you can get your service upgraded. It's not impossible to do. Um, I, if I remember rightly, I think Robert Llewellyn did a video on it uh, because he's got a Tesla Powerwall and a solar array, and he's got multiple electric car charges in his garage, and he went for a three-phase system which means that they have to dig up your driveway and run it directly from the pole because at the curbside it is already three. In most cases, it's three phase at the curbside and you have to run it to, to your house, right? So it can be done. It costs money to do so. Does it prevent... You, you don't even need it though. I mean, this, is, this is the point. You don't need don't it because... Need it. Unless you're going to do, do a 12 kilowatt solar array and a power wall and an electric car charger and four electric showers at the same time, guess what? And a complete tanning salon. You don't need it. It's as simple as that. You don't need and it. I, I believe, I need to probably need to check this, but I believe that, that one of the stipulations for the the grant to install a charging location at your house is to have it Wi-Fi enabled. Right. And the Wi-Fi enablement means that it can hook into systems that will hook into oh, your smart meter yep. and actually oh, control itself. Yeah. And, 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 and so this is, this is the thing. And it, honestly, you know, a fast charger at home is great, but from an electric, from a standard UK plug, you get 16, 15, 16 amps of power. If you are only doing 20 miles a day, which is what 99% of people do in the UK, your regular plug will charge your car overnight. If you plug it in every single day, you will get 20 miles of energy, electricity, in your car every day. The, the, you know, the fast charge is a great thing. Um, most people are going to put them in their house because it's the convenience of it. Uh, I have an e-golf in my house, and I've got 110 amps, uh, uh, th- uh, 110 volt, 13 amp plug in the America, which takes twice as long as the standard UK plug because it's working on 110 yeah, You guys are so backward. Yeah, we're so backwards. And we only, we, you only get 1.5 kilowatts of energy out of a plug in America where you get three in England. Now, I went for a year and a bit plugging my car into the standard slow charger. Why? Because it was enough. When I got home, I plugged it in and there would be enough for the next day. It's as simple as that. So, you know, now I've put a fast charger in, but because it makes it more convenient, now I know that I can charge it from flat any time and I don't have to plug it in every day but this idea that there's not enough electricity on the grid and there's not enough capacity in your home and you're going to have to dig up roads and all that kind of stuff it's nonsense no you don't and it's all it's all a myth and especially since you know if if you have stuff like this Volta network which is an advertising funded uh charging system that Tesco's done a similar deal with VW uh for 
um, with Podpoint to do for, for some Tesco stores as well. I'm not quite sure whether you need to have a VW or not to, to use that. I need to look into it. But, you know, th- that kind of thing where you get free, the, the, the Volta network, unless you're using a 50 kilowatt charger, uh, it's free, completely free. And if it's a 50 kilowatt, it's fi- it's free for the thir- first 30 minutes. And, you know, a lot of cars will get a lot, you know, get 100 miles in 30 minutes of 50 kilowatt charging. And so, that you know, it, it, this whole, I think this whole problem about charging, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of, um, of, of getting um, a new EV, you know, in the next couple of months. And I, I don't have home charging, but I actually don't, I'm not worried about it. Because if I go somewhere, and have maybe go for breakfast or for lunch my car will be fully charged right. who cares so it's, it's not it's not a, not a barrier and there's loads of places we, we we keep touching on it sorry sorry to to interrupt but yeah, yeah i have to say it it's the fear of change isn't it we got to keep coming yep. back to this again and again and again it's fear of change you you don't have the same routine anymore when you own an electric car why you don't need to go to a petrol station and if you do go to a petrol station an electric petrol station it's going to be different, but it doesn't mean it's worse. It's probably better. It's just different. And it's a fear of change that people have. So on that note, people don't fear the change. It's coming anyway, (laughs) but it's going to be good. So that's it for today's podcast. We've been James Morris and Stefano Rebadengo, and you've been a great audience. Tune in next week for more chat and analysis of the latest EV stories. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And of course, please come back to our website, whichev.net, for the most recent news, reviews, and features on everything electric vehicle. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.